Good morning to everyone. Thank you for the opportunity of being here and sharing God's word. I'm really enjoying First John while I study to prepare for the sermon, and uh, I hope you are enjoying this too. So today we're going on the second part of uh, this section from uh, verse 5 on the first chapter to the second verse on the second chapter. We kind of scrambled the verses a little bit. And uh, last week we were looking at verse 5, 6, 8, and 10. And today we are going to be looking at verse uh, uh, 7, 9, and 1 and 2 from the chapter 2. This whole section, I have uh, called it Right Living, Fellowship and Sin. And uh, last week we talked about how sin deeply hinders our relationship with God. And today we're going to kind of give in the solution for that sin that is hindering our lives. So the proposition or the main idea that I bring you today is that dealing with our sin will improve our fellowship with God. We cannot be sinning or having a misconception about sin and having a good relationship with God at the same time. That's impossible. So that's the idea we're going to be treating today. Dealing with our sin will improve our fellowship with God. And uh, the question is, how do we deal with sin in our life or maybe misconceptions of sin in our life So we can improve our fellowship with God. How we do that? So we will be going through two attitudes that we Christian can have. So we can deal with that sin and improve our fellowship with God. Before beginning into the text and, and these ideas, I want to pray. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the freedom you have given us through Jesus Christ. Father, today specifically we want to say thanks. Although for the men that have died for freedom. Father, thank you because this country have fought for freedom and liberty. Thank you for that. Maybe the people living here, they don't take it like a big deal. But for us coming from other countries, freedom is a big deal. So, Father, I thank you for the freedom we have in this country. And I thank you for the men that fought defending that freedom. We're, we're grateful for them. And uh, thank you for the effort of the families and, and the people involved in the, that process. Father, we come to you today 
And we ask you to help us, to help us with uh, the word, your word, that we're going to be dealing with today. Thank you because your word is alive, even when 2,000 years has almost passed since this letter was written. Father, help us to apply it to our lives in the same way that Asia Minor believers applied it at that time. Help us to live a life that pleases you. Father, help us to get read. Help us to deal with the sin that is uh, hindering our fellowship with you. Father, we need your help. And we ask you everything in this time in Jesus' name. Amen. So, the first attitude that I brought you today, you can have it, or you can read it all on your little handout that we gave to you. This first attitude is breaking up with hypocrisy, or hypocrisy. We were explaining last sermon that when we begin sinning, or we have those three misconceptions that we looked at in the last sermon, we become hypocrites. Sometimes it could be the situation in which uh, we are lying to others. We are saying we're Christians and we are acting outside nicely, but on the inside or in the house or in our personal life, we are not really following God. So sometimes we lie to people outside. We look to the situation in which we may lie to ourselves. And that's when we say... We're doing right, even when we know we're sinning and we rationalize it and say, that's fine. And uh, we went through some examples of how we can rationalize our sin and say, I'm fine. That's okay. Everybody's doing it. I'm doing it. That's fine. That was another way. That's a way of lying to ourselves. And uh, we looked into a third one that was... Uh, making God a liar. And uh, one example of that is when we say, we don't have to go to church. But the Apostle Paul, in, or whoever you think wrote Hebrews, <laughs> mm, tell us that, that we need to, to congregate. There's a need. So when we read God's word and uh, we say, that's not true. We're making God a liar. So we could be doing any of those. And uh, the thing is that when we do that, we're hindering our relationship with God. And that was the main idea of, of last sermon. Now, we can have an attitude. If we want to improve our relationship with God... We can say, I'm going to break up with hypocrisy. I'm going to stop doing this, having this hypocrite attitude that I have been living. So I don't know if that's good English. I, I just put it on that way. I'm going to break up with hypocrisy. I'm going to stop it. 
So that's the first attitude. And we will be seeing that in verses 7 and 9. Let's begin on verse 7. I will read it. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. The first question that normally we ask to ourselves when we see this verse is, what is walk in the light? Walking in the light, I would put it in only one word. I will explain more, but I would put it in only one word. It's obedience. We just need to walk. We just need to live by the revelation that we have on God's character and person. We know who God is. It has been revealed to us who God is, His character, and His personality so we need to live under that. He is light. In verse 5, he declared, John declared, he is light. So we should walk in light. It's living a life that will honor the revelation that we have on his character and person. So, but if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light... There are going to be now two consequences here. We have fellowship with one another. I think one another is referring here to us and God. But as we saw in verse uh, 3 from chapter 1, it can be with one another talking about Christians. So it's, it's both ways. When we have fellowship with God, we may have fellowship with one another. And the second consequence of uh, walking in the light that we may see there is that the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. And uh, I'm going to spend some time here because uh, we have to make a difference between justification and uh, progressive sanctification. We're going to go a little deep now, or maybe you have seen this before. Justification. Justification is a term for the first time Luther was the one who explained all these things or that he saw this in this way. Before Luther... The Roman Church, the Catholic Church, how that works. We, we gain our salvation through the grace we get from the sacraments. You have to get baptized. You have to go through communion, all that studies that you had to do. You have to go through marriage and all the sacraments. So through your life... Grace is infused to you through the sacraments, and then you get saved by works. But Luther said, I don't think, I'm studying the Bible, I'm studying Romans, and, and I don't think that's right. So that was the big deal in the 1600s. So he said, 
this is the the concept of justification that I found that I like the most. I even translated from Spanish to English, so I, I hope it's going to be good. So, it is the judicial action of God. It's like a decree. It's an act of God that he says something. In which, two details here. On behalf of Christ, in, it's on behalf of him, of his, his work and, and his person. To whom the sinner is united by faith. What make us to impute, to bring, or to apply Jesus' righteousness to our lives is faith. Okay? And what, what is the result of that? What is the declaration of God on that? He declares that the sinner is no longer exposed to the punishment of the law. Not anymore. No longer. But is restored and once again enjoys God's favor. We are called just, righteous, because of the work of Christ. And, but that only happens once and forever. Because it's a decree. In the moment we believe in Christ, all his righteousness is put in our account and we are seen like righteous by God. But that happens when we believe and forever. But there is something different than justification. That is called sanctification. What is to be sanctified? What is to be holy? Is to be set apart. We are not going to be doing the same things we were doing. We're going to be separated. Okay? So we have three kinds of sanctification in the Bible. The first one is positional sanctification. That happens on justification. When God tells Kim is righteous, Kim is fine with me, I'm the holy God, but Kim is fine with me because he believed in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ's righteousness is applied to the account of Kim, so Kim is declared righteous. Kim is set apart. His position changed. He is not condemned anymore. So he's set apart. But there's another one that this is the one we're talking about today in the text, I think. It's called progressive or experiential sanctification. And that's the most common one. That's when we believe and we begin to change. We begin to look into God's word and we begin to apply it to our lives and all those little areas of our lives that were wrong begin to change. It's a, it's a process. That's why, why it is it's called progressive sanctification. You can see it better sometime or not. In my case... Because I believed when I was an older person, this is seen better. I believed when I was 23 years old. So, 
God, in the moment I believed, I was justified and declared righteous. But my life had a lot of different areas that were going wrong. So God slowly, one by one, changed all those different areas in my life. That's progressive sanctification. And I think that was the most beautiful time in my Christian life. I believed and I, for some time, made mistakes because I didn't know God's word and, God, and God's character. In the, in the way I learned who God was and what he was demanding on me, I began changing. That's called progressive sanctification. Progressively, in, in the way you know God, his character, and his demands, you begin to set apart yourself for him. So that's progressive sanctification. That's what John is talking here. This cleansing that we are explaining here at the end of the text is called progressive sanctification. And uh, ultimate sanctification is another one. But this is the one that we will acquire or have when we are in the presence of God. When we get rid of this body of sin, when we be, be complete, that's ultimate sanctification. We will be in his presence. That will be awesome. The best. So, I brought you this because I wanted to for you to have a good idea about the end of this Verse 7, when he said, Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So, these guys that had a commentary put it in a way I liked a lot. It says, Christ's blood is the cleansing mean whereby gradually, not in, not in the moment, gradually, being already justified and in fellowship with God, we become clean from all sin, which would mar our fellowship with God. It's a constant, constant cleansing. Okay? So, I don't know, because my case is different. I had a lot of areas to change. I don't know in your life, I don't know how this works in the life of a person who believed when was little. But I think that it should be kind of similar, but maybe with time, with conviction, and uh, in the moment in which God just brings something into your life, then you change it. So... I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what God is convicting you today. Something you might have thought all your life that it was alright to do. And today or lately, He has been convicting you or telling you that's wrong. If that's the case, we have to deal with that sin. And we have to just walk in the light. Leave that on the side and keep walking 
on the light of who he is and what he demands from us. So the other, let me see if I, okay, that's the end. So the other idea about breaking up with uh, hypocrisy is in verse 9. We looked into this verse already when I came here in January. January? Okay. When I came the first time here. And uh, let's read verse 9. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When... Uh, we were talking about this verse. We said that to confess is to agree. Basically, the meaning behind confess is to agree with someone. In this case, when we sin, we have to agree with God about our sin. That's what it's telling us. When we confess our sins, we said, okay, oh God, I'm sorry. I'm sinning. I acknowledge that. That I'm wrong. I'm doing this wrong. You confess. You agree with him about what you're doing. So he's faithful and righteous. The thing is that it is based on the person and the character of God that, that we may go and confess these things. Because he is faithful and righteous, he will be able to forgive us and to cleanse us. Because he has these characteristics. He is faithful. Faithful means that, that he will accomplish what he promised. He is true to his word and his promises. That's awesome. That's one of my favorite attributes of God. But not only that he is faithful, but he is righteous. He will give to everybody what that person deserves. Sometimes we don't like that God is a righteous God and a just God. But He is. He is the one that will give each person what he or she deserves. So at the end of verse 9, we have what happens when we confess. Our sins are forgiven and we are cleansed from all unrighteousness. That's really great. What last time I came here, I I told you that this verse for me was like the reset button on the computers. Because every time we, we just messed up, every time we just do something wrong, it's so great that we have such a God that we can go to Him. And tell him, God, I failed you. And he, because he's righteous and faithful, he is able to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, if we mess up, I don't want any of you overthinking it. You might feel bad. And it's, it's, it's a sign that we're believers, that we feel bad when we mess up, when we do something wrong. But, but don't be charging or, or, or holding that burden all around, okay? 
Christ died for us. The price for our sins are, are paid. And we just need to go and confess our sin. So I don't want any of you that, that go around with the burden that, that we cannot. If, if something is wrong, we just go and confess it to God. We go to God and confess it. This uh, thing happening here, it's amazing for me how what was happening on, on this first century there can be happening with us today. How people at this time could be sinning or having misconceptions on sin at that time and how today we can be doing the same thing what John told to those people we can apply to our lives today so don't hesitate if it's necessary maybe not today maybe later break up with hypocrisy okay the second one the second attitude that we may apply to our lives or, or take or have is trusting in Jesus' work. Trusting in Jesus' work. We have to think about it. I I don't know how so many Christians are worried about so many different things and they don't look at the work of Jesus Christ. They're talking about end times or or difficult different things and they don't focus on the person and the work of Jesus Christ so this is an attitude that I want you to think about because we may deal with our sins helped by the work of Jesus Christ I was fascinated at the beginning of my Christian life when I was trying to organize in my mind who Jesus was. So I, I began to think, and Jesus, okay, okay, he came in the flesh and he died. And after that, he died, was in the presence of God and he will come later for us. So I was trying to put everything together and uh, I missed the part. At the beginning, it was that the pre-incarnate Christ. He was since the beginning. So I put all that together. And uh, it's amazing. I, I will encourage you that you, you study Christology. That is the study of, of Christ. Of, it's the doctrine about Christ. So Christ has have had, or will have too, mainly three offices. Prophet, priest, and king. Let's talk a little bit about that. Let's try to organize that. When he came in the flesh, he came as a prophet. He was fulfilling his, his office of a prophet. He was doing the same things that the prophets did before. He was communicating the message from God to the people. He was interceding from God, talking to the people. 
Now, after his death and resurrection, he's doing another office. He's being our priest. He's doing something different. He is interceding before God, but interceding for us. So how, how, he's doing another thing now. He's interceding before God for ourselves. And, and that is the specific office or work of Christ that we need to think about. He's going to be king later. He's going to come and set a lot of things and judge everything. But right now, we need to think this office of Christ as our priest. Let's go into verse 1 and 2. Here, John changes the, the, the tone of the conversation and uh, address the believers as little children. I love how John does that. He says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. He has been preventing sin. He has been warning them through the letter, through these verses we have been studying from 5. To, to this verse now, he has been preventing them about all these things that are happening. So he's telling here, this, uh, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So I said, He's telling them, I have been preventing you. I want you to know all these things. I have been telling you, telling you all these things. But in case, even if you sin, don't worry. We have an advocate. So the word here for advocate is paracletos. In, in, in English, it would be kind of parkly. It's, uh, it was used at that time to someone you, you would call a lot alongside you to defend you in the Greek culture. This is the same word that is used for the Holy Spirit in John 15. And it's interesting that in John 15 it says another paraclete. So Jesus is kind of the, the, the first or the original paraclete. I don't know if, if those terms are right. But when he's telling, he's on the, on the high room, he's telling them there's another Paraclete that will come. That's the Holy Spirit. But he himself is our paraclete. Is is the person we it was used at that time is someone you would call alongside you to defend you, maybe in court in a legal issue. So this is our advocate, it's our mediator. That's why I wrote there under trusting Jesus' work. I wrote you on A. He's our mediator. He's the one who is defending us. He's the one who is interceding before the Father for us. And for me, the perfect mediator are always grandpas. Grandpas and grandmas. Those are the perfect mediators. What happens when, when little kids get into trouble? What do they do? They run to grandma or grandpa. I don't know if that works here in the States. In Cuba, it's like that. You know you did something really wrong. 
You go to grandma to defend you. So we as Christians, we know that we have an advocate. We have a paraclete. We have someone who is coming alongside to defend us. And that's Jesus Christ. He's interceding. He is fulfilling his office of, of priest right now. He's interceding for us in the presence of God. So, whenever, whenever in our lives we face sin or trouble, we know He's there. We have to trust in Jesus' work. The second idea or the second characteristic of Jesus here in verse 2 that may be very helpful for us to deal with our sin, it's in verse number 2. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. I don't know how your translation of the Bible is uh, rendering this word here. This word in Greek is elasmos. And... Uh, Elasmos means to appease or to satisfy. It's, it's great how words can convey meanings. In this case, propitiate or, or, or satisfy or appease. We have to think about it. God is a holy, holy God. Think about it. From the attributes of God, the only one that appears triple is holiness. It's every time in Revelation and in Isaiah when the when the angels say holy, 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 that's a triple. This is the only one. And repetition in that culture meant reinforcement. Is a holy God. How in the world the holy God will have anything to do with all of us? Sinners. Our sin is an insult. It's an offense to that holy, holy, holy God. How that can happen? Only Jesus Christ, that is the propitiation, is the one who satisfies that offense. Is the only one who appeases that offense. That's why he's telling, he's telling here, he's our propitiation. He's the only one who satisfies that problem, that offense, that insult that we did on the holiness of God. I brought you this phrase, that's the Latin and it was used by Luther too. Simul just justus et peccator. <laughs> now it's happened the, the opposite. I'm trying to, to pronounce that in, in, in the Roman, the Spanish, and I, my English is coming into that. So it's simul justus et peccator. It's, it's kind of like Spanish. Sounds the same. Uh, so... That means 
At the same time, we are righteous, just justice, and we are sinners. How is that possible? That, that kind of, that phrase, it's very simple phrase, but it describes, it conveys very, very well our condition. At the same time, we're sinners and righteous. How is that possible? We still have a sinful nature. We still have a body and a sinful nature here. Even when God sees us righteous because of the work of Jesus Christ transferred to our account. So God sees us and declares us righteous, but we still have a sinful nature. We have to deal with this sinful nature. And this is all we have been talking about. We have to keep dealing with this sinful nature as we live in this body. And for that, I think John gives us good advisement here. I think if we decide, if we stand and strongly Decide, I'm going to break up with hypocrisy or any kind of sin in my life. And you and me, we decide and we say we're going to trust in Jesus' work. We can improve our relationship and our fellowship with God. Let's uh, live a life that constantly will be dealing with this sinful nature we have and improve and have a good relationship, a fellowship with our Father. That was the idea of John writing to those people at that time and it's the same idea we should have today. Let's deal with our sin so we can improve our fellowship, our relationship with God. Thank you. I will pray to finish. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for your word. We thank you because your word is active and living. And Father, that we today may read to this and we may find these attitudes. We may find these, these actions that we May apply to our lives. Help us, God, to correctly deal with the sin in our lives or the misconceptions of sin in our life or this nature we have in our life. Help us, God, to deal with this because as you are light, we cannot walk in the light unless we deal with these things. Father, thank you for the work of your son, Jesus. Thank you because he didn't, he come here to pay for us. But, but not only that, but he is now interceding 
Father, before you for us. Thank you for that. Help us to trust in what Jesus is doing for us today. And uh, try to strive every day for fellowship, for a close relationship with you, God. Help us during the week. We need your grace to go through all these things. We love you and praise you and ask you everything in Jesus' name. Amen.